0: Strong one, El Shaddai, the mighty one, Yahweh, an unspeakable word that meant you are the Creator. I am that I am. And now Jesus is changing how we speak to our Creator. Jesus is teaching us to address our Creator as our Father, our Daddy. And that's in Matthew 6, verse 9. Uh, And let's read that, verse 9. And when you pray, let's see, I'm sorry, I read the wrong verse. Verse 9. This then, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This entire lesson is going to focus on our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, let me give you a little background into the Lord's Prayer. You all grew up, as I grew up, memorizing the Lord's Prayer. And if you were non-Catholic, you know that there was a closing stanza in the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. Amen. Correct? That's how you learn the Lord's Prayer. If you have a King James Bible, an older King James Bible, and you turn to your King James Bible, you will see in there, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. Amen. You know, we all grew up like that. And if we were standing in a public auditorium and we were standing next to a Catholic doing the Lord's Prayer, you know, the Catholics would be very, very absolutely, stop, you know, stop. And we would go, no, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. And I want to give you a little background about that stanza, the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. When the King James Bible was translated... Uh, in 1610 and And King James had put his group of scholars together to do this. It was a monumental effort Because there were a number of bad translations that had preceded that uh, the, the Catholics had had been relying on the Vulgate a Latin a Latin version of the Bible and there were a lot of errors in that Bible a lot of errors specifically relating to translations about confession and likewise, about what the role was of Jesus and, and, and you speaking to God. And there were errors that were in that translation. Well, they went back to the original translations. They went back to the original Greek. They went back to the original Aramaic in order to understand what really was the correct translation for the Bible. And here's what they found. When they went back and did the Lord's Prayer, there was never in the translation, For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. That was never there. Can you imagine? Our Catholic brethren were right. That was never in the translation. Well, then the question becomes, well, how did that then get into the King James Bible? Well, after they got done translating the Bible, and now we're putting this Bible out, and this Bible was going to be on the pulpit of every church in England, here's what they determined. If they left out that language, which had been recited for centuries in the English churches, the people would have rejected the Bible. Isn't that amazing? And so they, on their own, chose to include that language as a cultural vestige of what had been done before just so that the Bible would be accepted. I find this very interesting. Uh, There may not be any particular theological uh, issue on it but the reason I tell you this is I've always said to you read some books about what it took to get an English Bible you, you, you are intelligent people I commend them to you if you go on our website you will see several books that I commend that I have read on what it took to get the English Bible and so you will see what it took the sacrifice the martyrs the people that gave their, their lives so you could have an English version Bible uh, uh, properly translated and so Getting back to the lesson at hand. Our Father, our Daddy. And so Jesus is giving us a lesson now on the paradigm of how to pray. He's told you before how not to pray, like the Pharisees, and now he's telling you how to pray. To pray to God, the Father, on the basis of the death of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Now it's recorded twice. The Lord's Prayer was recorded twice, in Luke 11, verses 2 to 4, a slightly shorter version, and in the longer version, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Sermon on the Mount. We are gonna, we're going to focus on the Matthew 6 version. This is a pattern, pattern, by which we are to pray, a pattern. It is not meant primarily to be recited. It is not meant primarily to be recited. That said, there's nothing wrong with reciting it, but you don't recite it uh, ad nauseum, because if you do, you become just like those Pharisees we studied the last two weeks, who repeat the same 16 verses, right, in Deuteronomy. Those very good verses, but the prayer is not from the heart. And so the question here is not the recitation of the words, but in the pattern of the words by which we are to pray. It is a primer on how to pray. Jesus said, pray like this. Not pray these exact words, but pray like this. Jesus gave the prayer to his disciples to use. Now here's the interesting thing. This is the first time in the bible that you will see someone refer to god as daddy my dad my father in the most intimate way you will not see a single reference in the old testament to that effect none and so jesus is making a radical change as he's done in every other aspect of religious life he's making another radical change as to how we speak and how we address God. And so Jesus says we address God as Christians directly as my father, my dad, my most intimate relation. And so this was new with Jesus. No prophet had ever said that before. Jesus always used this term with God. Every single time you hear Jesus speak, Jesus will refer to God as my Father. And he authorized the disciples to do this in every aspect of his public speech and in his public prayer. He did this in all his public prayers except one exception. When Jesus was on the cross and he's dying, his prayer is, My God, my God, why hast thou Abandon me that is the only time that you see jesus referring to god in a different relationship than the most intimate aspect of my father my dad and what a this is such a lesson for us in understanding how we have to approach god and that's why this entire lesson today focuses on that first verse our father our dad Our dad in heaven. God, who is the father that many of you never had. God, who is the perfect, loving father. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants us to have. And so, as we begin to understand the significance of God, my father, my dad, as we begin to understand this, I want you to begin to take a look at how Jesus viewed the relationship with people who did not have that ability to call God my dad, my father, and what separates us from the world. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 20. Verse 17. This is an incredible verse. Let me give you the, the uh, prelude to how this comes about. Mary Magdalene is going down to the garden tomb to look for Jesus after the crucifixion. And so she sees someone, and she's asking, "Where did they? where is Jesus' body? Where is it? And as she says this to this gardener, She thinks it's a gardener. Jesus speaks out to her and says, Mary. And you can just imagine what that had to be like. Just her reaching out and saying her name. And she realized immediately, oh, it's Jesus. He's resurrected. And so in, uh, in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! Which means, teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God. And you're God. This is a very, very, very deep verse on multiple levels. And so what Jesus is now saying to Mary is that there are three new relationships that have been created. The first is a new relationship to Jesus Christ. There is a new relationship to the Father. And there now is a new relationship from one to another. When Jesus says, do not hold on to me, effectively what he is saying to Mary Magdalene is on several levels. He is saying to her, I have not yet returned to the Father. It's as if Jesus is in the middle of Leviticus 16. Do you remember when we studied Leviticus 16? And the high priest is performing all of those sacrifices, all of those blood sacrifices, and it's as if Jesus is in the very middle of performing this blood sacrifice for the atonement and as if you would go in and you interrupt the high priest in the middle of this sacrifice. And Jesus is saying to her, Jesus is saying to her, do not hold on to me, first of all. Do not separate me from the spiritual life and responsibility that I have. And so Jesus Has to fulfill his spiritual role. And so the spiritual role was in the atonement and ultimate ascension and resurrection to God. Now it seems harsh. It seems harsh. But you have to understand that the role that Jesus played was was unfolding and changing. And so, first of all, he is now the priest in Leviticus 16. Secondly, Mary is seeking to hold on to him physically. Because she knew him physically. She loved him and she wanted to hold on to him. Remember the relationship that she had with him as they walked the world and they walked the world together. She saw him and loved him and cared for him. Certainly she respected him. But at the same time, there's the problem of holding on physically. Not recognizing that Jesus has a much greater role. He's God. He's the high priest. And so don't hold on to me. Don't, don't restrict my role. My role is far greater. Far greater. And so uh, it's, it's important that we know this. And so we need to know Jesus differently than when he walked on the earth. Because his ministry is far different than when he walked on the earth. Mary was now to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And so he tells us in this verse that while God has become our father, underline that, our dad, the only reason God has become our dad is because his son died for you on the cross. That's why Jesus said to you, I I am going to your father. You don't have the right approached God as your father without Jesus Christ. That's why this verse is so deep and so significant. Your father, you're dead. there's only one reason that you can say that verse and why the world cannot say that verse. It's, it's cheap words otherwise. That word father was bought on the cross by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's never forget this. That word goes too easily off our lips. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy. We don't even stop to understand the depth and significance of having to say, Our Father, my dad in heaven. So it's an unbelievable statement. Uh, and, And Jesus is changing the role. And so what he's saying is that God has become our father, our dad, which was not true before the cross. It was the cross that changed that and now he's also saying it's not the same as the relationship that he has with God because God is his father but he is also God and so Jesus has a unique relationship with God the father as co-God as God the son but it is through the death of Jesus that we then are able to truly say my father my dad, is because we are adopted as sons. And so Jesus is saying in that verse, all these things are coming, to say, coming together. Jesus is saying, I'm completing a sacrifice. I have a spiritual relationship to God that I have to continue. He is my God. He is your God. He is my father. He is your father. All of this has come on, come about because of the cross. Now if you have any question at all, any question at all, and I know the vast majority of you don't, but if you come across people that say, well you know I recognize Jesus was a great person, I recognize that Jesus was a great prophet, Jesus did miracles, I recognize that, you know, just when I look back at the Old Testament, Jesus is up there with Moses and Elijah, uh, and the great prophets, well, they're, they're so wrong, it's, it's unbelievable. They're so, they're so mistaken who Jesus was. Turn with me, just so we understand this, to John, the first chapter in John. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. John chapter 1. Understand why Jesus could make the statements he did. Why he could establish the relationship that allows you to say, my father my dad why jesus could say that and turn with me to john chapter 1 as john outlines exactly who jesus christ is and reigns today verse 1 in the beginning was the word and notice that the word is capitalized and in this passage the word means jesus christ the embodiment of the word the word was the creative agent of god that created everything that you see the universe Every aspect of the universe created through the Word. The Word was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You understand what we're talking about? We are talking about a living spirit. Word was with God, and the Word was God. Where do you hear language like this? The Word was God. The very Word was God, was Jesus Christ. He was with God. God in the beginning, underline that, in the beginning, before time. When you look at the continuum of time, and you know that there's a beginning on the left-hand side, and there's an end on the right-hand side, Jesus and God reigned on top of time. They see time as if it's a parade. Can you understand that with your, your, your carnal minds? It's only with the spiritual insight that God gives you that you can understand this. He was there with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Please underline that. Understand what you're saying. That Jesus Christ who came to this world and allowed himself to be sacrificed on a cross so that you could say, my dad my Father, that Jesus, through him, all things were made. All things. That was the role of Jesus Christ. He was the creative agent. Nothing was made that has been made. Nothing that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. What a powerful set of words here. This is all part of the Lord's Prayer. When you're saying, Our Father who art in heaven, this is what you are saying. You are effectively putting all of this in a parenthesis so that God could give you that right. Look at verse 10. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Can you imagine that? He came into the world. He came in as man, fully man, fully clothed with flesh, fully subject to everything that you and I are subject to. All of the temptations, all of the pains, all of the sufferings, all of the grief, he was subject in every possible way. To that as man yet he was God he'd given up his divinity to come here so that you could say our father so that you could pray and approach the, the throne verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the father full Of grace and truth folks if you know people who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior you need to bring these verses to their attention there's no mistaking this there's no shades of gray this is black and white you want to be able to say the Lord's Prayer you want to be able to say our Father you want to be able to approach the throne of God there's only one way you're going to approach it it's through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the understanding that Jesus was God God himself at the time that he did this. And so this first phrase in the Lord's Prayer creates the doctrine of the universal fatherhood of God. Now understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that all men everywhere have the right to say our dad. But what I'm saying is God has given the ability, the chance The choice to all of humanity to become part of the fatherhood of God by effectively accepting Jesus Christ. Only through Christ does God become our father. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. If you remember one thing that we talk about today, it's only through God, through Jesus, that God becomes our father. Now there's some verses I want to bring to your attention. Turn to John chapter 8. And Jesus is again now confronting the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the hypocrites, the self-righteous, those who believed that they had, fully, they had fully atoned, that they were perfectly religious, in every aspect. They had no need of a Savior. They had no need of a Messiah because they were the learned ones. They understood the scripture and now Jesus is tearing apart everything that they know as we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is saying here in chapter 8 verse 34 as he responds to them, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. I want to make sure I'm doing this right. Actually, turn to verse 39. Verse 39. And so now they are defending themselves. We are Abraham's children. Do you realize who you're talking to? We are Abraham's children. We are the chosen people. We have the Bible. How dare you, you interloper, that you would come in here and try to talk to us like that. How dare you? Oh, he dare he dare. Verse 39. Abraham is our father, they answered. And Jesus responds If you were Abraham's children, and when you think about this, think about our father. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Can you imagine? Who speaks like this? The truth that I heard from God? Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. Oh, and who is their father? Satan. And he's going to lay it out. He's going to absolutely mince no words. He's going to tell them who their father is. And that's why you can say, our father, our dad, and why the world cannot. This, wor- this, this first sentence, this first uh, verse is so incredibly profound with such deep spiritual significance that we've just as Christians rolled it off our, our, our tongue and have not really considered what it took to say this. Now look what they say. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. You know what that was? That was, you're a loser, Jesus. Don't think you're impressing us. We know you were illegitimate. We remember how you came into this world. Your mother was pregnant before Joseph married her. Can you imagine speaking like this to someone who is this obviously gifted, and obviously spiritually gifted, and yet they so despised and reviled him that they would effectively bring this up. This shows you the, the significance of Satan. It's palpable that he would actually defile Jesus, defile his history. <coughs> you were illegitimate. We are legitimate. This just shows you how Satan, how Satan will, what, what Satan will do. We are not illegitimate children. They protested, the only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Oh, our father, our father who art in heaven. God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own. I didn't come here because I decided on my own to come. I came because he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable, because you are unable to hear what I say. You can't even hear the spiritual lesson I have for you. You belong to your father the devil. Please underline that. You belong to your father, the devil. These are the Pharisees. These are the scribes. These are the religious elite. And Jesus is looking at them and saying to them, you can't say my father in heaven because your father is Satan. Wow. That, I mean when you talk about the role that god has given us to bring the gospel to the world do you realize do you realize the significance of this we're not just dealing unfortunately with people who are misunderstood people have some wrong connotations maybe some improper theology you understand what jesus is saying he's talking to the jews your father is the devil that unless you accept jesus christ accept jesus christ as your lord and savior you cannot Say the Lord's Prayer with the with, with true meaning of what it is. My father, my dad. Because you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. I couldn't think of a better way to, discuss, to really characterize Satan. He was a murderer. It's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden, right? It's exactly what he did. He murdered the relationship that man had with God. He murdered that that ability to be perfect, to be without sin. He murdered it. Not only did he murder that relationship between Adam and Eve and ultimately the relationship with God, he effectively murdered the the perfect aspect of the creation. He came in and through his lies, And deception, he did all that. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. No truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Do you like that? (laughs) What a great way of saying it. That's his native language. Just like for you, it's English. For him, it's lying. He's so good at it. He's so good at it. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Wow. 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 All this... Our Father, who art in heaven. Understand the the depth, the depth, enormity of what that says. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 8. Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. You are now children of the light. You lived in darkness before you could not say that line in the lord's prayer and have that line mean what it said our father who art in heaven he was not your father the devil was your father the king of lies but now because jesus has died on the cross and you have accepted him it all changes turn to second ephesians chapter two ephesians chapter two verse one again understanding this whole concept understanding this concept of what it took to say our Father. Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Can it be any clearer? You were dead. You were a walking dead person in every aspect of your life in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom kingdom, Of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Can it be any clearer? Can it be any clearer as to what's going on? It's us, our Father, adopted as sons of God through Jesus Christ versus the world, whose Father is Satan. That's it. It's black and white. There are no grays. It's black and white. And you understand what it took, what it took to be able to say, Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, our Dad, to have that kind of relationship, to break this cycle of death. Ephesians, second chapter. Verse 3. Talking about what we were like, what we were like when we lived in the world. Again, we've read this verse before. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Please underline objects of wrath. I know there are people that find this disturbing. But the Bible is very clear that unless you've accepted Jesus Christ, unless you've become an adopted son of God through Jesus Christ, unless you can say with conviction, our father, my dad in heaven, when you can make that approach to God and call him in that most intimate of languages, my father, my dad, because of Jesus Christ, you are a son. You are at wrath. You are in revolt, open and notorious revolt to God. This is a very, very significant reading and understanding. And we really need to have God speak to our hearts about this. What it means every time you kneel in prayer and approach the throne. And you begin to use the paradigm of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, my Dad, who art in heaven. What that, what that all connotates, what that means, and all of it, effectively, Jesus has outlined it for you here. All of it was done on the cross when Jesus was the perfect sacrifice in Leviticus 16, allowing you to come from an object of wrath to become an adopted son of God so that you can bow your head and approach the throne of God himself to reach out across eternity and have him listen to you listen to you solely because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, when we read these words, when we look at this prayer, we are humbled, God. We are humbled, first of all, because for many of us, we have repeated these words for decades, and it never made an impression on us because we didn't understand fully the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. What it took, what it took for him to be able to give us the gift so that we can say, Daddy, our Daddy in heaven. Lord, we are so grateful for this relationship. We're so grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, humble us, humble us every day so that we can go out and deliver this message to this world who was sold out to Satan, who are children of Satan. Lord, give us the grace to be able to lift high this message, Lord. I ask you to protect these dear people, especially this coming week, Lord, wherever they go. Put your protective hedge around them. We ask you also, Lord, as we go into this service, that you anoint the words of our pastor, that the words that we hear be the words that you want us to hear from your lips. We put all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.